Daily at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Dogcast Radio. Coming up, we have a thought-provoking interview with Rob Guttrow about his experiences communicating with animals who have passed over. You've talked before on your show about uh, instinctual learning and um, verbal learning, how dogs are uh, often happy with a routine, the different barks and body languages, uh, even even facial signals. They give you that look, <laughs> they, they want something. Or... So there's a lot of different levels of intelligence that plays into the way a dog can communicate from the other side to humans that are still alive on the side. But before that, we talked to trainer and behaviorist Sean Ryan, who owns and runs Developing Dogs Training, Education and Activity Centre. We're discussing a subject that Sean has written a book about called No Walks, No Worries. I know from personal experience how worrying it can be when you're told that your dog will need several weeks of crate rest. So I was very interested to hear from Sean about how the experience can be made easier for both dog and owner. I start, if I want to talk about this subject, I, I will start with that kind of exactly the scenario that you've described. And, and vets will say, oh, just keep them quiet. And you can see the sort of the owner's face just go, how am I supposed to yes. do that? Yeah. Um, and it isn't, it's an area where um, vets struggle to give advice because they don't have the time or they think it's just common sense. Um, so, yes, owners can be left in sort of in the lurch a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, in our case, and, and maybe we can discuss sort of the reasons behind crate rest, but in our case, um, it was surgery. So we had a small time of, of, of knowing that she was going to have the operation, but she wasn't very mobile in that time anyway. Um, and, and then we sort of, it was very important to keep her immobile as much as possible to let the leg heal. Um, and in our case, I mean, she's a Bichon Frise, so she was, she was fairly small and it was, it was fairly easy to give her a, a, a crate that seemed big enough. But it went against, or it seemed to go against, everything we do as dog owners because, you know, we exercise, we keep them occupied, we take them out, we make life interesting. And then suddenly you're told, for your dog's best interests... You need to keep them mainly in a crate, and it feels wrong, doesn't it? It does, and it's again, it's kind of it's one of these things where when I'm talking to to puppy owners or to dog owners, I will actually say to them, whether you want to use a crate in your home or not, if you teach your dog to be comfortable in a crate, you make their life if they go to the vets easier, and yeah. you essentially make your life upfront easier if they ever need to be confined for whatever reason. And when you think about the fact that sort of 10 to 25% of dogs will suffer some form of musculoskeletal illness or injury in their lifetime, there is a good chance that um, your dog is going to need to spend some time on restricted activity. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have this skill up front, if they have this skill up front, if they think that their crate is a great place to be, yeah. then you've removed one stress from what is an already stressful time for you and for them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's kind of, there is, it's trying to get across the idea that the crate is somewhere I go to chill out, the crate is somewhere I go to rest. But the crate can also be somewhere where I can mentally do things. You know, I can have food toys in there. I can do good stuff in there. It's not a punishment space. It's a good space to be in. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to 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 go to the end of our story, and we'll we'll come back and talk about the, the stages we went through, kind of thing. But when Star had had her eight weeks in her crate, and she was deemed to be, you know, up to more more um, exercise, I thought. I daren't just put the crate away because this dog had spent the majority of her time in the crate for eight weeks. I daren't just put it away. I will leave it out, but I'll leave the door open and she can choose what she does. And it really surprised me because she still chose to spend a lot of her time, her just chilling out time and definitely sleeping time in the crate. And it wasn't somewhere she hated at all. So she had had, you know, luckily a positive experience. It can be done, but it can be daunting. And I like the way that you, you talk about sort of supporting the dog mentally and emotionally because even if they like you know even if they have come to enjoy a crate and and associate it with a a calm and a safe environment it must be a huge change for them mustn't it yeah and it's it's kind of the the whole thing with restricted exercise or restricted activity is that yes for some dogs it is six weeks eight weeks three months in a crate with very little else for other dogs it is they can be out of the crate as long as you supervise them yeah. make sure they're not jumping on the furniture or whatever. Um, and for others, it's a long-term thing because they're getting older or they have a, an injury, which means they're never going to be able to run around, but they don't need to spend all of their time in a crate. Mm. But, um, you know, the, 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 especially the kind of emotional support, we, we're much more aware than we used to be that dogs need mental stimulation as well as physical exercise. But one of the areas which some people do still overlook, and some people will even deny that, that dogs have emotions, um, is this idea that they need emotional support. Now, the, the book and the, sort of the, the realization that this was a problem area came out of the experience in the behavior clinic at the University of Lincoln, where we saw dogs who had been absolutely solid as, as, as adult dogs until they went through a period of restricted activity. Mm. And they developed behavior problems as a result of that, activity, of that period of inactivity because they stopped interacting with the people that they normally saw or they stopped being able to interact with the dogs that they normally saw. And they actually, when they were allowed back out into the, the wide world, mm. just went, I can't cope with this. Oh. Um, or they'd learned and developed bad behavior habits um, whilst they were on the restricted activity because that was what kept them sane. You know, they yeah. discovered it was fun to bark at people. Or they discovered it was fun to, to whine for attention and, and those sorts of things. And so it was really, the idea is really trying to get people to look at the dog that they have and say, how will this dog cope if? they are going to be on restricted activity. What does this individual dog need in order to support them? And, you know, I had a a little foster puppy who ended up, she was um, dumped at a vet with a badly broken leg at at about 12 weeks old. She came to me two weeks later, and I had her for the best part of a year um, while she had three operations on her leg and eventually had to have it amputated. Mm. So... Part of the the book is also developed off the back of that and going through it as an owner as well as sort of theoretically knowing what dogs dogs need but actually experiencing it and and trying to sort of work out what we can say to people, this is what you can be thinking about, this is what you can be doing Um, because it is incredibly stressful. Um, And it's, you know, it's hard emotionally on us as well as on the dogs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, obviously, you, you, you've said the best way to prepare is sort of to get your dog um, used to a crate. Is there anything we can do if, if we haven't used a crate and, you know, it's an, an accident and that happens to the dog and we don't have much warning? Yeah, is there anything ab- we can do then? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, there's kind of, yes, in the best, if we were all amazing, we would have all have trained our dogs for mm. every eventuality, but life happens. And, and so, yes, the, the main thing is if you are confronted with an emergency situation, you need, firstly, you need to have a plan. You will feel much, much better as an owner if you have just spent five minutes sitting down and writing down, what do I need to change? So I need to get a crate. I need to get the bed in there I need to make sure that there is step free access between where I put the crate and the back door so that they can go to the toilet easily or I can support them quickly out there and sort of those sorts of things look at the the life in the home in general if you are planning on having a big party the next day you might want to think about cancelling it to, because the dog is not going to cope with that kind of thing yeah. tape up the doorbell because if your dog normally goes um nuts when the doorbell rings just for a few days just cover it up or you know just make sure that you remove all the possible sources of excitement and stress from the dog and then you've got your crate set up dog comes home from the vets and you basically need to be prepared with anything that you think will keep your dog happy in the crate so chews food toys your attention if necessary and whilst initially you know, you, you might be worried about, oh, well, if I give him all this attention, he's going to end up dependent on me and he's going to end up very attention-seeking. We can tackle that later yes. in those first few days when, um, you know, he's reeling from the accident, you're also reeling from the accident. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sitting next to his crate or sitting with the crate open but with him in it and stroking and just chatting to him and just keeping him calm when he needs it you know he will probably also still want to rest and and obviously make sure that you've got decent pain relief from the vet so yes they're yeah. not um they're not in distress but yes keep them keep them occupied with anything and everything from um cardboard boxes that they can rip apart to get at shoes or just food toys you know anything that's appropriate to their level of activity and interest yeah yeah we make the great good yeah we got through i remember a lot of peanut butter and kongs <laughs> that was our go-to yeah i mean i i actually i haven't been a, an adult dog owner without without the invention of the kong mm. um you know obviously the 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 dogs that we had when I was a child, we didn't have Kongs then. But since I've had my own dogs as an adult, Kongs have always been around, and I'm actually not sure what we did before they no. they existed. <laughs> they certainly, you know, the the range of, of of food toys that are available now, and and just what you know what you can do with them. There's there's even a whole website dedicated to what can I stuff in my food toy today and yeah, yeah. come up with some brilliant ideas. And it the thing is also it doesn't need to be always high value, super rich food. You can no. mix their normal food with a tiny spoonful of peanut butter or a bit of natural yogurt and, you know, most dogs will still find it just as as engaging so yeah you know yeah. when especially when they are on restricted exercise and you need to be cutting down how much you're feeding them because otherwise they'll put on weight because they're not burning it off mm-hmm. then um yes it's kind of just you know 
be creative with what you put in there and how you use them. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we were lucky with that. And obviously, chewing mm. seems to comfort them as well, doesn't it? If you give them a, a chew or a toy that they can chew, it does help a bit. Yeah, I mean, there is suggestion that chewing releases endorphins, which helps make them feel better, helps um, reduce pain, etc. So, yes, and these days, again, there are so many weird and wonderful chews out there from, you know, bits of dried animal that, again, I barely even knew existed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, find what works. I mean, mine, mine guys have a range of things like rabbit's ears to ostrich tendons to all sorts of different things so, yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely stuff out there that you can find for even the fussiest of of chewers or of dogs yeah yeah now you've 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 sort of already mentioned that it, you it's, it needs to be um an individual approach so that mm. dogs are individuals and you know um in a way we were quite lucky in that our bichon frise is content with with a bit of company you know and a bit of chewing but if it was my border collie I think we'd we'd be facing a very different situation. So what's the advice if you do have, you know, a very active sort of and mentally active dog? What can we do there? Well, again, as you say, all dogs are individuals. Mm. When you've got the the mentally active dog or the dog that um, likes to be out running and, and doing things, then this is where I think training comes in. I think um, if you can teach yourself if you don't already know how to do it or just get involved with clicker training yes so you can shape your dogs to do anything and if you especially if you develop kind of a micro shaping technique where you can teach dogs to flare their nostrils or to move an ear or to do some really tiny things so even if they're on absolutely you know you can't even wave a paw type restricted activity then you can do some really, really smart stuff with with tiny little movements, tiny little behaviours. And as long as you keep rate of reinforcement nice and high, they won't get frustrated. They're getting feedback for what you want from them. Yeah. Um, and also you can use it as an opportunity to teach them all of the the handling things, which again, we kind of somehow we'd some, it doesn't get seen as, as so important by some trainers and some owners. So mm. teach them to like having their nails clipped. Teach them to like having you look in and clean out their ears. Teach them to like having their teeth examined. All of these are so things that vets will love you for yes. if your dog is happy. <laughs> but means that your dog actually can, can receive the veterinary care and the, and the handling that they need in order to be sort of fit and healthy and well looked after. So I try and encourage um, people who come and train with me to think of clipping their claws, dog's claws, as just as much an important trick or an important thing for their dog to know as sit or down because, you know, they're going to need their claws clipped every few weeks for their entire life. So let's make it fun. Let's make it something they like doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are all the sorts of things that you can use that time um, with the dogs who like the mental stimulation and again food toys all of the the interactive games the Nina Watson games um are fantastic for that kind of thing and if they do have a little bit of mobility then even just scattering some of their food across the carpet or in a small area of the garden so they can spend a bit of time sniffing things out and looking for them on a harness on a long line if you need to just to make sure that they don't take it into their own heads to go off and have a bit of a zoomies whilst they've got the chance yeah yeah what my um 
what my Labrador found hardest about that time when you can take them outside, but they're on lead rest, essentially, is mm. he wanted to go off. When he wanted to poo, he wanted to be on his own. Yeah. And that was so difficult for him. And you could see him looking over his shoulder like, no, I don't want you here right at the moment. And it is, it is an adjustment, isn't it? It is. And it's, again, it's one of these things which you don't even think about no. when it happens. I mean, I, my lurcher boy is quite similar. He, um, for whatever reason, doesn't like pooing on lead or kind of in front of you. He will always take himself off yes. somewhere else if he gets the chance. Um, and because of this, I make sure that if he does have to poo on the lead, I reinforce really heavily and, and just say, yes, you know, this is great. And I actually go back to, as I would have done with house training, to actually rewarding him for pooing because I want him to be comfortable if he needs to go in front of me. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is really hard for, for you and for them because you can't just drop the lead. Um, and, but, again, there are times when... You sort of you have to also balance the needs of the dog. Yes. And one of the things when I sort of talk to people about this, I would say that in the re- bit of research that um, one of the master students from from the University of Lincoln did, with asking vets about what advice they gave to owners and 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 everything else, one of the things that came out was that about thirty percent of the vets who replied to her questionnaire regarded treating the physical problem as more important than treating the behavioral problem. Mm-hmm. So physical health was more important than behavioral health. And from my perspective, obviously, as a behaviorist and trainer, I think that the things are very equal. There's no point in having a dog who is physically perfect, no. but who now is worried about going to the toilet or who now is worried about seeing people on the street or whatever can happen mm-hmm. as a result of this. So I would always say, think about your dog's needs. If you can trust him to actually just walk off a little bit further away from you and go to the loo, then put him on a long line, let him do that, um, because that's better than him trying to hold on for several days and ultimately then um, mm. becoming distressed and, and actually it becoming a, a bigger problem than it is to start off with. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess bring some common sense to the issue isn't it really yeah and and just think again comes back to the individual what does your dog need what's the priority for you what is most important Mm. you know we talk in the book about if you've got other dogs in the house yeah and they're they are all used to sleeping in front of the fire together at night or curling up on the sofa together or whatever you're, the dog who is on restricted activity is really going to miss that interaction. But so are the rest, you know, so are the other dogs. If, if one of them's best mate is suddenly not allowed to be with them, then it can have an impact on them too. Mm-hmm. So be sensible. If they are at a stage in their treatment where they can come out of the crate and curl up on the sofa with their friend for a bit or, you know, be on their dog bed under supervision so that no one's going to start playing bitey faces or no one's going to start, you know, trying to to jump on and off the sofa or do anything stupid. But just can you let them have that interaction? Can you let them still do it? Even if it just means that when you go out into the garden, one of the other dogs comes too and they get an opportunity just to potter around together. Yeah. You know, make sure that you maintain those relationships and maintain relationships with 
for people that they see and people that they like as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of my, my Lurcher boy is just so friendly, loves people. And when I first left the University of Lincoln and I set up the place in Cambridge, I could tell that he was missing going to work with me because oh, he mm. used to come into work, he used to people come in and out the office, he used to see people and he loved it. And here he would be because before I was open and, and we didn't have many visitors and, and he would be kind of get to the point where he would pace a little bit and be like, I need to see someone. And then we'd go out and have a chat with the builders and he'd be like, oh, my best friends, they're all here. <laughs> and now that the centre's open and I've got more people and he comes into classes and he's, he's absolutely, he's like, yes, I'm back doing what I should be doing, which mm. is being with people. Um, and so you need to think about that. How much interaction do they normally get on their walks? It's not... You know, walks are not just about physical exercise. They're about interaction socially. And can you help maintain those social interactions with people coming to your house or with going for a drive and going around to a friend's house, even if you take the crate with you? Yeah. Those sorts of things are all, they're all fine if that's what your dog likes and wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that because my Labrador, you know, would be bereft without people. As you say, everybody he meets is his best friend, you know. It doesn't matter whether he's met them before or not, they, they are his best friend immediately. But the other two, the Bichon and the, the Border Collie, sort of, they, you know, they, they like people, but they, they're not that concerned about anybody else's opinion of them. You know, they, they could cope a little better. But yes, it, 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 it would really bother Buddy if he couldn't meet people. That would be an issue. Yeah, I mean... Cooper spent two, nearly two years in kennels before he came to live with me. Mm. And um, I, I know the, the, the people in the rescue very well, and I know how brilliantly they looked after him. But he was, you know, he, he was very much the favourite of the, the, the women who sort of ran his bit of the kennels. Um, she would spend a lot of time in his pen cleaning his ears and stroking him and, mm. you know, just generally interacting with him. But he and so he coped because he got that level of support from her and from the other staff. Yeah. But um, yeah, he you know he still it was difficult for him. I've got some video of him and and sort of his the way that he greeted people and and the over excitement at the prospect that someone was coming to see him and then the frustration behaviour if they weren't coming. You know, I'm very conscious of the fact that if it if he needs great rest then supplying him with a decent stream of visitors will be would be top of my list definitely yeah, yeah. oh I, I think it's it, that's a lovely way to approach it. you know how can we keep the the dog happy how can we meet the dog's needs um if anyone is being faced with this dilemma um you have written a book about this haven't you mm, yeah we um it's in conjunction with my colleague at the university of lincoln who is veterinary behaviorist helen zolt mm-hmm and um, we, as a, we went through a stream of cases at the behaviour clinic where um, the dog's behaviour problems had developed as a result of, of the period of restricted activity. I had the foster puppy Flo, which had also brought it to the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, she really, she tested every single um, theoretical problem that I'd not faced before yeah. in regards to this. And um, she really she taught me a lot um, <laughs> and was, was definitely one of the kind of catalysts for, for writing the book. 
And um, so we sort of sat down and went, well, what would we want to know? And how can we approach it? The, the issue is that we could have written a book 10 times longer yeah. and included how to do all of the different techniques and all of the different things that we were doing. But actually, we thought, no, at this stage, we just need to give people some pointers on think about mental stimulation, physical stimulation, emotional um, health how to prepare and how to transition back into the real world as well. Or if you're lucky enough that your dog can go back to full exercise, well, how are you going to bring them back to that, um, that state? Because for some dogs, you know, it can be scary if they haven't been outside for a while or they can get completely OTT or they can end up actually making themselves stiff and sore because they run around, which they haven't been able to do for six weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's thinking about all those sorts of things. So we try to set it out. We give people worksheets. Every chapter has um, a kind of care plan at it, sort of element to it where you write down what you need, what you're going to do, how you're going to reassess over the course of the, the confinement, etc. Um, and give you ideas for what you can do with your individual dog to make the period of restricted activity bearable. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a brilliant idea because, it, first of all, it gives people ideas and, and some, some shape to what they need to do. But also, once you've got it written down, you can sort of see the progress you're making and you can say, no, look, it will be over one day and it's not as bad as it was, you know. And I really like that idea. That's really practical help, isn't it? Well, it... It sort of the, the reason that we stretched it the way that we do is because there's, um, there's evidence in the human literature that A, having a plan makes you feel better. Actually, even if you never do anything about the plan, it makes you feel better, mm. um, which is, I find really interesting. It's that thing of as long as we write something down, it's no longer going around in our minds. But, yes, yeah. but if you do have a plan, as, exactly as you say, you then can see that you're making progress. You reassess every week or so because what the dog needed at the start. Actually, you can, if we talked about the emergency crate training earlier, Mm. I don't need to sit by his crate 24 hours a day. Actually, he's now sleeping through. I can go back to my own bed and he needs less interaction of this nature, but now we'll bring in more of of the food toys or whatever it is. Um, And so you can see that you're, you're making progress. Your dog's needs are changing. And if you, part of, um, of what makes us, sort of comply and what makes us carry on with this kind of program is realizing that we've made progress and is having small steps that are achievable and we see yes I've, I've put the the dog I've put the baby gate up so the dog can't go up the stairs or I've changed the routine so the dog's no longer on the sofa just in a in preparation for the appointment for the operation or whatever or even I've got the dog walker involved and instead of coming in for an hour to walk the dog, they're coming in to spend an hour's quality time having a chat with him and and making a fuss of him and those kinds of things. So, yeah, I think the the nature of of having small, small steps that you can see what you're doing, see that you're making progress can really help. Yeah, excellent. Now, I I don't want to... to leave the book until we've talked about the illustrations because it's beautifully illustrated it's by uh, the photos by peter baumber is that right yes, peter baumber, yeah. yes. yeah so tell me about those uh i mean pete's photos are incredible and if you've seen life skills for puppies which is helen's Zolch's first book he or pete also took the photos for that 
and they are simply stunning. We had such a good time taking those photos. Um, we were very lucky to have some very compliant dog models, <laughs> two of whom are mine, um, uh, two of whom are Helen's, and uh, we wrote in various other volunteers of friends and, and things. Mm. And, um, yeah, we, we either sort of obviously set the dogs up, taught the dogs what we wanted them to, to know if they didn't already know. There's a couple of photos where we've done some little bit of Photoshop to to um, merge two photos together so that we didn't actually put a dog in a stressful situation in order to get the photo. Yeah. We wanted to show some of the body language things. Um, but Pete's patience and Pete's talent for, the, for taking those photos is just incredible. Mm, excellent. Um, yeah. I had, it was quite funny. Um, uh, he gave me a print of each of... He gave me several prints of each of my two, but he gave me two beautiful um, prints of, of each of my two, and I took them into a local framers to get them framed. Mm. And I um, had a call about a week or so later to say, oh, your photos are, are done. And by the way, could you bring a copy of the book in? Because we saw the article in the local paper and we, we recognised the dogs from the, oh. from the photo. <laughs> and so we'd like to have a copy of the book as well. Oh, please. lovely. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, obviously, it's, it's being very well um, received. I, I read a quote from uh, Professor Daniel S. Mills, who said, mm. this is one of the most important dog care books to, to appear for a long time. So it, it is being well received, isn't it? It is. It's um, it's one of these subjects where um, and and sort of one of the, the comments that we got from the, the veterinary research, which is they don't tell people what to do because it's common sense. Everyone should know how to treat their dog if they need restricted activity. They should. They don't need extra support. And certainly, if you are a competent dog owner or you're an experienced dog owner or experienced dog trainer, then yes. Most, you know, the stuff in the book is common sense. But for a lot of us, it's only common sense if you already know it. Yes, absolutely. And, and it isn't common sense to, to, to your average dog owner. No. Those of us who, no. you know, spend hours reading books and, and all that kind of stuff, then yes, it it is. But mm. for your average dog owner, faced with a worrying period where my dog's got to have an operation or my dog's got to have restricted activity for a medical reason or for whatever reason, they're getting older, then, you know, it's totally normal and totally natural to worry. And I, I kind of, I don't, I hate this dismissive, oh, it's just common sense because then it actually makes people who do worry about this yeah. kind of stuff feel yeah. really belittled. Yeah. And, and, and so I try and say, you know, there are loads of things which might be common sense to other people which are not common sense to me because yeah, yeah. I've never been in that situation before. No, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, I, I hope it's written in a way that makes people feel kind of supported and that, that we empathise. We've been there um, and, mm. you know, these are some of the things that you could try in order to make this easier for you and for your dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, how, you know... I think that's really, really fair comment because I have um, been interviewing and reporting on the dog world for, for 10 years and sort of, I think, uh, our star's uh, crate rest was about three years ago. Um, and so I realised that I had to sort of occupy her in some way and help her. But 
there wasn't anything else out there. You know, when I saw this book, uh, no, no Walks, No Worries, Maintaining Wellbeing for Dogs on Restricted Exercise. So when I saw that and your talk at Crufts as well, I just thought that was brilliant. And I really wanted to bring that to as many people as possible because it isn't a subject that's dealt with much. And you, do, you are thrown back on your own resources. And, you know, it wouldn't have occurred to me to think, well, if I have a dog walk coming in, he could come in and just talk to the dog and give them some you know simulation like that so i think it really is a a really needed book oh well that's very nice of you it's very kind of you to say so (laughs) um i yeah it's there is nothing out there there are as i said you know there are books out there that deal with with brain training for dogs which are fantastic and youtube is also a really really great source of some lovely videos of things to keep your dogs occupied. But what we wanted to try and do was kind of pull it all together. And it is a very, it's a very niche book. Um, it's unfortunately, you know, it's never going to get me to the bestseller of, of, in Amazon. <laughs> but actually, I'm quite relieved about that because if there were that many dogs that yes. needed it, then things would be a problem. But it happens to more dogs than, than you realize. Yeah, and and yeah. certainly, you know, we, we, when Helen and I were, were talking about it and writing it, it's not just dogs who um, have accidents or, or sort of physical problems that need it. It's quite often we will advise um, you know, owners who have dogs who are very fearful or who have struggled out on walks. We'll say to them, "Look, you know, just give them give them a break for a couple of weeks. Yeah, don't feel you have to take them for a walk. This is what you can do instead." And also, dogs who are getting older. Dogs who can't, you know, if you used to have a Border Collie that ran with you six miles every day or, you know, was out doing agility four times a week and stuff like that, then as they get older, physically they're not going to be able to do that, but mentally they'll probably still be just as alert as they ever were. Yeah. What can you do then to replace that agility high that the, the Collie has had? Um how can you make sure that they're still getting the emotional and the, the mental and the physical stuff that they need, um, but adapted to them as they're getting physical needs? So yeah. it's not, it, is, it is something which is hopefully applicable um, in many different situations. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm quite, I'm very flattered to know that uh, Fitzpatrick's promoted it. Um, Claire Rusbridge, who is a neurosurgeon, um, has written to me to tell me how much she enjoyed the book and mm. um, how she's recommending it to their patients and she works out of Fitzpatrick. So, yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, it's, it has been well received in, in the veterinary world as well as in the dog world, which is lovely. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like the idea. I was very drawn to it. Um, where can people find out more about you online, Sean? Um There's more. There is a Facebook page for No Walks, No Worries. There's mm-hmm. also my Developing Dogs website, which is developingdogs.co.uk, and we also have a Facebook page too. Um, and there has, there's various bits and pieces about No Walks, No Worries online as well, um, if you search for it. So there you go. Crate rest doesn't have to be a worrying, stressful or boring time. We have the links where you can find out more about Sean on the Dogcast Radio site. I have found that when you are deeply troubled, there are things you can get from the silent, devoted companionship of a dog that you can get from no other source. Doris Day. 
If you have ever been frustrated by the choices the heroine makes in the stories you read, then Mace's Choice is for you. With Mace's Choice, at the end of each chapter you are offered a choice. There are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Mace's Choice is an exciting innovation allowing you, the reader, to enjoy multiple happy endings. Why read just one story when you can read them all? Mace's Choice is a novel you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. And it may be the only book you need this summer. To find out more, visit maceschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Now we have an interview with Rob Guttrow, who is a very entertaining and witty guest. We're going to talk about his book, Pets and the Afterlife, Messages from Beyond. But as well as communicating with animals, Rob is a rescue and charity volunteer and has his own dogs. So before we got into the book, I wanted to talk to him about his experiences with his own dogs, Buzz and Sprite. Buzz was a, a, a puppy when he passed. He was about seven months old. Yeah, it was back in 2005, and his leash opened when I was walking him, and he went after a dog on the other side of the street. Yeah. Uh, he was killed by a car uh, in front of me. Um, but he became the world's best canine communicator, and he was actually the inspiration for me to write Pets in the Afterlife. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sprite, on the other hand, uh, lived a good long life. He was 16 and a half when he passed wow. in 2013. And he was a dachshund. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always had Weimaraners and dachshunds. And, yeah. Uh, even today, we have one Weimaraner and two Dachshunds. Mm. But the the reason I wrote Pets in the Afterlife, pet, it's actually my third book, yeah. um, uh, is to give people who lost their pets hope, comfort, and understanding that pets communicate with us from the other side, and they they will be waiting for us when it's our time to go. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you say they're they're waiting for us, um, because there's, there's that sort of um, rainbow bridge story which i know some people find beautiful you know that sort of that the animals go to rainbow bridge and, and wait for us but do you mean they wait for us sort of are they fully fledged members of the afterlife already because I, I i like to think that if anybody's going to get into heaven if that's what you want to call it it's going to be an animal you know why would my dog have to wait for me oh yeah they actually don't wait they're they're actually on the other side and um you know, I just mean waiting by when it's our time to cross over, they're going to be right there saying, okay, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, what uh, took you so long? <laughs> yeah. So they're not waiting to cross over. They actually cross over pretty fast once they pass. Um, yeah. Because oftentimes our, I, I've found um, that our relatives who passed before us are there waiting to take them over. Yes. Waiting for the, for the animal. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so how, how did you become aware of this ability to communicate with animals who'd, who'd passed over? 
Well, it actually all started when I was a teenager, and I it didn't start with animals. It actually started with people. Hmm. Um, I was actually about, I think I was 13 years old, and it um, my grandfather had passed in January, and in July, I was sitting home with our poodle. Um, we had a family, we had a poodle when I was a kid. And uh, just the poodle and I and my grandfather materialized in front of me hmm. in, in full color. So I grabbed our poodle and I ran outside. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally scared. And I sat out in the step until my parents came home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, of course, I, I realized that something was going on there. And when I told my mom, she wasn't surprised. As it turns out, she had the ability to, but she was afraid of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So over time, um, I guess over time, they've come in from time to time. And once I fell in love, it acted like a um, I don't know, like an emotional magnet and magnified my abilities. And I started getting messages all the time from people as well as pets. And my my one buzz actually was the one that really inspired me to start writing my first book called Ghosts and Spirits. Um, as well as the other two. Yeah, yeah. And does does an animal, let's say a dog, does does a dog and a person, do they come, do they contact you in, in the same way? Or what's, what's the difference between the way they, they communicate with you? That's a really good question. And the answer to that is, yes, they do communicate with me in the same way. I like to think, I, I, I like to tell people that the way pets communicate is through words that they know or images that they've seen in the physical world when they were alive, just as people do. Um, when you think about it, we teach, we, we take our, our dogs to school. We're happy when they play well with others. We, um, we're proud of them when they do well in school. We take them to the doctor when they're sick. They, they know a lot of words. They know a lot of commands. In fact, I know border colleagues can learn up to a thousand words, maybe. Yes. Um, so, so, and dogs can understand our emotions, certainly. They know when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're angry, um, when they do something wrong. And I like to tell people the only difference between the, uh, raising a dog and raising a human child is that the dog doesn't grow up and marry someone we don't like <laughs> and move away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I... There's a sort of a fluffy uh, interpretation of, of being a pet parent, but I, I agree with you. I think in a very real way and in a practical way, we we sort of are in loco parentis with our pets because we do look after their welfare and their physical well-being, and it and it is very much like parenting, isn't it? It absolutely is, um, and it, included in the book because I'm a scientist, I cited a couple of studies, scientific studies. One was from Dr. Gregory Burns at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, who's a neuroscientist. And he measured um, the activity of a dog's brain using MRIs, hmm. magnetic resonance imagery. And he actually determined that the same part of the brain, the caudate, in a dog's brain uh, reacted exactly the same way as a human's brain, the caudate in a human's brain, when they saw someone they loved. Mm. proving that dogs have the same exact emotional response that humans do. Yeah, 
Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it marvellous now we can actually see inside brains? Because before that, we could just observe behaviour and we can make inferences from that, you know, but we may be right or we may be wrong. But when you can actually see that part of the brain light up, that's... That is... for, those, for those people that actually have brains. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for those... For those dog lovers amongst us, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, that is, is um, I like that because I, I think dogs do very much have emotions. And, you know, I, if, it, if it looks like love and it feels like love, I think it's love, you know. And so it's nice to have that confirmation. Absolutely. Um, and there, you, you know, as a dog parent, you know that dogs also feel grief when they lose their companion yeah. dog or cat. Yeah. Um, so that that was another study done, and 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 it proves that they grieve just like we grieve when we lose a pet or, or a person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually also read another scientific study that said that humans actually grieve more for the loss of a pet uh, than they do when other humans pass. Mm-hmm. I suppose it depends on the the intensity of the bond you know we have our animals are there for us our dogs particularly and you know cats but and any animal you know that you have in your life every day but particularly dogs they're there for you you know 24 7 they never say hang on in a minute or I'm busy or I'm just doing this you know they're there for us they do provide an enormous support and so you know when that's there 24 7 when that goes that is a huge loss isn't it it is. And uh, the other thing, too, is that we're, I think we're more emotionally bonded to our, our dogs and cats um, than in a different way than humans, because humans can actually take care of themselves. Yes. Our pets rely on us yes. 100%. Yes, it's, it's going back to that parent thing, isn't it? There, there is a sort of protective role with your pets, isn't there? Definitely. Yes, absolutely. So the other thing I talk about in the book, too, is... It, it, is the different levels of behavior of a dog, the different levels of learning. Hmm. Um, you've talked before on your show about uh, instinctual learning and um, verbal learning, um, how dogs are uh, often uh, happy with a routine, um, mm. the different barks and body languages, uh, even even facial signals. Yes. You know, when you, <laughs> they give you that look. <laughs> they want something or um yeah so, so there's a lot of different levels of intelligence that plays into the way a dog can communicate from the other side uh to the way to humans that are still alive on the side um and, and the other, another interesting thing too about spirit um which is what i call a dog that's crossed over a dog that's earthbound or a cat or a horse or a bird it, and an earthbound entity would be a ghost. Uh, one that crossed over and went to heaven or paradise or Valhalla, whatever you want to call the other side, is a spirit. Yeah. Um, but they, as a spirit, they can actually manipulate things in nature. So when you hear people say that they saw a butterfly the day that their mother passed or, or their, their cat passed, and that butterfly just lingered there, and they thought it was a message from their spirit, it actually was because they can manipulate things in nature, like butterflies and and flowers and feathers and dragonflies. Mm, mm, wow! So, 
that distinction then between a, a, a ghost and a spirit, that a spirit's past and a ghost is earthbound, this may be too too crude language, but does that mean sort of a spirit is happy and a ghost isn't as happy? Or is that not a, a distinction? That's a really good question. And it's yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I will I'll elaborate on that. When a spirit crosses over, they actually join all the other relatives who had predeceased them. And that, that means either pet or person. Um, as an earthbound ghost, I, and I'm on a ghost investigation team here in the U.S., um, I've learned that ghosts, earthbound ghosts, can't communicate with people who have crossed over in spirit. So they are more isolated. They can't communicate with anybody. And that's why ghosts tend to be more unhappy mm. on Earth, because they, they lost the ability to communicate with the ones that they love. But also, they also choose to remain as a ghost um, and for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, maybe they feel like they're not worthy of crossing over or maybe they just love their house that they grew up in and they want to stay there, which has been the case a couple of times. Um, but in terms of pets, uh, sometimes they don't pay attention to the people on the other side that want to bring them over. Mm-hmm. They're happy running around um, where they grew up. And I, there was one dog I actually met one dog, uh, one dog ghost that I actually met, and he was in London. Hmm. Yeah. He was in. Uh, are you familiar with John Soane's museum? No, no. Okay, he's an um, he's an architect. Yeah. Uh, he was an architect in the 1800s, and he his museum was up near Baker Street, I believe. All right. Okay. Um, so when I walked in there, I was on vacation. I walked in there and I looked at, to my partner and I said there's a ghost in here but it's not human (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's an animal it's a dog and he just looked at me and said you you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) you're out of your mind um but actually he's he's learned to just accept and understand and and now he believes everything that I tell him so long story short we walked through the museum and there was a um there was a, a a little tombstone in the middle of one of these patios uh, that said Fanny. Turns out that Fanny was the dog, uh, the the beloved dog of John, Mrs. Johnstone. Hmm. Docents in that museum have told me that they've seen dog a dog running through that museum. Several, hmm. several of them have. So, and one of them asked me if there was a person, if I saw any, any people walking through in, in, in ghost form. And I said, no, there are no people, just just dog. And they said, well, that's exactly what everybody has said. And that ghost dog has scared other people who brought their dogs in there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so their dogs picked up on it, on the ghost dog. They did. And that's. See, that's another aspect that we can talk about later, I guess, that how dogs and cats can see ghosts and spirits. Yeah. That's a, you see, it, it's, it fascinates me. And I, I do think that some people sort of are freaked out by anything they perceive. You know, as, as you say, in the, in the first instance, you know, seeing your grandfather, it, it frightened you. Um, um, and, and, and then others, I think, I mean, I know my, my mum... I, I, when my grandmother passed over, 
um, I heard her walk up the stairs and I, it was her footfall and and I sort of went, I thought it was my granddad walking up the stairs, in fact, and I went out and there was nobody there, but it was definitely, you know, it was an older person walking up the stairs. Um, and that frightened me. Um, but I know my mum was desperate to see or hear anything after, you know, it was her mum who, who'd passed over. Um, and uh, and she would have loved that. But I know she she told me about, um, sort of in her childhood, the family dog would suddenly stand up and run out of the room and sort of or growl at thin air and sort of they they were convinced there was a ghost in the house and the dog was you know seeing it before any well perceiving it before any um humans did and and that's absolutely true um what i've come to find out is that the dogs and cats have different cones and rods in their eyes Hmm. and those different cones and rods in their eyes enable them to see movement at a faster rate okay Um, so for instance if you're walking your dog uh, they can see movement about 200 feet away, but they can't see clearly until they're about 75 feet away. So it, when we're walking our, our Weimaraner, Dolly is her name, um, she'll see something move to, from 200 feet away, and she'll start slinking until she gets about <laughs> 75 feet <laughs> yes. from what it is. Um, and, and, you know, and then she'll realize maybe it's a bag blowing in the wind. Yeah, or yeah. Maybe it's a squirrel. Um, but because they can see that faster movement, and we actually can't see that, um, our, because our eyes are not physiologically configured that way, um, pets can see spirits and ghosts because they move at a higher vibration. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so if your dog or cat is staring at the corner of the room and making a noise or whatever, um, they're likely looking at either a spirit who's come to visit and say hello or a ghost that's earthbound. Yeah, yeah. You see how our cats do this, and it really freaks you, but it freaks me out, because they'll just stare just behind you, and you go, could you, could you not do that, please? Because that's quite freaky. <laughs> they, they don't listen. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. There's but, another part to that, too. That, hmm. um, as you know, dogs can hear at a higher frequency. Like when, you, when you think of a dog whistle. Yeah. Kids can't hear it, but dogs can. Um, as a ghost investigator, I've come to find out that spirits actually communicate often in a higher frequency, one that we can't hear, but our digital recorders will pick up. So, um, so dogs can actually hear spirits and we can't. Yeah. Do you know, I'm, I'm seeing a TV show here for you, you know, Rob Guttrow. And and he's he's ghost detecting dog. I, I think that there's a future in that. I, I'll only take ten percent, but <laughs> I think we've got an idea there. Yeah, oh my gosh, I don't want to give up my day job. <laughs> we we could, you know, we, we'll we'll cut you a deal where you you can just do weekends and evenings or something. Well, <laughs> well I think there's, that's got legs. I think. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Wow. One of the things I wrote about. Um, was that in the book that we actually took our Weimaraner on a ghost investigation. Yeah. And she actually solved um, the mystery. Mm. Um, it, it was it was fascinating because I never take you know, I don't want to take her into a uh, into a, a situation where there's a there's a ghost that's kind of nasty or mean. Um, but we heard from the owner that that they had lost their dog a couple of months before and they wondered if it was their dog that they keep hearing. Well, um, 
long story short, we parked four four houses away from the house, and she ran to the front door of the house that we were going to investigate. We didn't even know we could we didn't even know what house it was because we only had the number and you couldn't see the numbers from the street. Mm. Um, so she, it turned out she was actually following the spirit of the dog oh, <laughs> that belonged wow. to the house. And when she got inside. And after investigating the, for the first floor, and I said, I said, go where you want. She ran up the stairs to one room at the top of the stairs, turned right and sat in that room. And I said, to, so I looked at the owner and I said, okay, what's significant about this room? And they said, well, their dog, when their dog was alive, the minute the dog would come in the house, it would run up the stairs and go to that room and sit there. Mm-hmm. Because that was their little boy's room and that dog was bound, bound bounded or bind, bound to that little boy. Mm. Wow. So she was actually following the spirit of the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And of course, and, and she wasn't at all um, freaked out. Was she, was she presumably? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Much more sensible. <laughs> um, now I know, um, in the book, um, you do obviously you, you include a lot of your own experiences, but there's other people's experiences as well in the book, isn't there? There is. In fact, um, I happen to know three different mediums, hmm. and each one of those mediums are are dog people. <laughs> so, so I know they're good people, um, yeah, and yeah. they each had their own um, adventures with their dogs that had passed. Hmm. Um, so it was. It's kind of interesting to to see how their dogs communicated with them as well. So I included those. Um, I also included a a story from a fellow uh, pet rescuer. Um, my my partner and I work with Dachshund and Weimaraner rescues here in the uh, the eastern U.S. And one woman that works with the Dachshund rescue told me that she was actually saved by the ghost of a dog when she was a little girl. Hmm. Wow. It's a fascinating story, and yeah. and she actually grew up to be a scientist. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There you go. That's incredible. How, how was her life saved then? She, um, well, she was lost in in woods, and um, she uh, she ran into some people that were not nice, and yeah. this, this dog appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. I think she said it was a German Shepherd. And and scare the the people off. Wow! And, and helped her get home. So yeah, excellent. Wow. Yeah. So now your ability to sort of um, receive this communication seems to be natural. Do do you? I mean, you know, you you. It was something that was within you, and then you discovered it. Do, do you think that anybody can develop that ability, or is it something that it's like a talent that some people have and some people don't? Uh, I do actually believe that people can develop the ability. And, and actually, that's another reason why I wrote the book, so that people can actually read the book and see how to see the signs from their pets uh, by themselves. So they don't have to call a medium. For instance, if you're, first of all, there's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to spirit. Hmm. So don't dismiss anything. If you get in your car and you turn on the radio, you turn on the radio, and a song comes on that reminds you of a person that you just happen to be thinking of, that's not a coincidence. 
the spirit of that person influenced you to turn on the radio at that very moment so you could hear that song. Mm-hmm. So you just have to pay attention to it. Um, pay attention to uh, things in nature, as I mentioned, birds, butterflies, um, feathers, um, any anything that's unusual that, for instance, um, when when our dog Sprite passed in 2013, um, he sent us a yellow and black butterfly uh, the day after he passed. We had not seen the butterfly all summer long. He died in, in July, July 8th, as a matter of fact, 2013. The next day, we saw a butterfly in the backyard, and it, came, and it was unusual only because we had not seen one, and this butterfly came around and lingered around our other three dogs, mm. and they didn't chase Oh, yeah. When I wrote about butterfly, um, some friends of mine in two different states were reading about it on their iPad, and a yellow and black butterfly landed on each one of them as they were reading about Sprite's butterfly. Yeah, yeah. Not a coincidence. (laughs) No, no. Wow. That's incredible. Um. It's, I, I think it's, it's nice the fact that you say, you know, you, you, you want to sort of help people be able to perceive the, the communication themselves because it is, it's a devastating time when you lose an animal. And obviously it, it, it could be an area that could be exploited, um, you know, that, that offering comfort. So it's nice that, you know, you sort of, you want to help people do that themselves. You don't want to, um, you know, exploit their, their grief. So I think that, that's a, a nice way of you know helping them um i'm sure people will want to find out more about the book rob um where can they find out more about you online um i i have a, a website and also facebook pages okay the uh, the website is called ghosts and spirits insights dot blogspot dot com i know it's a mouthful <laughs> <laughs> we'll put links on the show notes don't worry <laughs> Um, and if they go on Facebook, all they have to do is type in Rob Gutro, G-U-T-R-O, and I have two, um, two pages that will come up. Um, I also have a Twitter. My Twitter account is Ghost Medium Book. Um, and the, the book is on Amazon in, in um, Kindle and also in paperback. Um, and I'm actually working on a second one right mm. now with um, many stories from others and since I put this one out, I have been I, I received a lot of emails from people asking me to give messages from their, their pets on the other side, cats and dogs. And it still astounds me when I get these unique identifiers from their pets and I send them to them. And a lot of people have said, please share my story in your next book so that people will know that their pets are, in fact, fine on the other side. Yeah. And, and they're still with us from time to time. Yeah, yeah. It it is a huge comfort, and it's um, it's a fascinating area. And I I realise it's an area that some people just sort of will not be open to, you know, and and that's fine. But it's it, people that I trust have said things to me, and I've experienced my own things that sort of you know just to interest me and intrigue me and make me think, you know, well, that there's 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 something to it, you know. So I yeah. I think it's well, fascinating. You, the one thing I tell people who don't believe yet that uh, spirits will give you messages is, uh, if you don't believe it, talk to me when you're dead, because then, you, then I'll hear <laughs> Yes. 
absolutely yeah <laughs> and then you can go see told you <laughs> oh. yeah well i mean i'm i'm sure you're offering comfort to a lot of people you you are interested then in people getting in touch with you with their own stories oh i i absolutely welcome um people getting in touch with me and my my email address is up on the website and and the facebook pages and so forth um yeah. and, and, and i get emails every week and and i try to i answer them once a week um because it to be honest with you it takes a little it takes energy to be able to get messages and mm. it, and it wears you out <laughs> yeah yeah um but i do want i you know i'm not i i don't charge anything for uh whatever messages i get i just want to help people and and comfort them um because i went through the same grief twice already and you know we know we're going to go through it again because we have more dogs and but the love that we have for our pets makes life so wonderful yeah that i wouldn't trade it for anything no no absolutely yeah i'm with you it, it it hurts like hell when you lose them but yeah that that love that you have with them and that bond is is just priceless isn't it yes and yeah. and now you know once you once you understand how they communicate with us you know that you really haven't lost them mm. you've only lost them in the physical form but they're still with you yeah yeah fascinating um thanks ever so much rob for for sharing your experiences with us um We'll put on all those links on the show notes so people can come and find out more. And um, but I think the thing is, you might be inundated with stories, so it might have to be another ten books now. <laughs> you, you know, I I am happy to help pet parents in any way I can. And you know, like I said, it's not my full time job, but but there's nothing like the love of a dog and and a pet parent. Yeah. So whether it be cats, horses, birds or dogs, all of them have the ability to communicate with us. Any, any animal that's basically been domesticated and understands our language can communicate with us in some, in some form. So yeah. uh, I'm here to help. I thought that was intriguing. If you have any experiences of your own with dogs who have passed over, I'd love to hear about them, and so would Rob. And the links you need to get in touch with him or find out more about him are on the Dogcast Radio site, which is www.dogcastradio.com. What we have once enjoyed, we can never lose. All that we love deeply becomes a part of us. Helen Keller Well, it's been a packed show this time, so it just remains for me to say that in the next show we'll have help for firework-phobic dogs from Tony Shelbourne, and we'll be examining the problem of dog trucking with Melissa McHugh-McGrath. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. 
we can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you do if your dog eats your pen? Use a pencil instead.